uh, well, welcome everyone. Glad to be uh, together today. My name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor here uh, at Bethany Green Lake. If you're visiting us today, uh, we're glad you're here uh, in the room or online. Uh, you're welcome here. You have a place here. We'd love to help you uh, connect. Uh, we are in the third week of our series uh, on the book in the Bible called First Peter uh, that we're titling uh, Built for Hope. This is a letter uh, written to followers of Jesus who were scattered throughout the Roman world, both Jews and Gentiles, people facing persecution and isolation, increasingly at odds with society and power structures in their day. And though they were scattered, Peter uh, wanted them to understand the spiritual reality that they were actually small pieces of something much larger, that they were being built together to offer hope to the world and to be a dwelling place for the living God. It would have been uh, profoundly easier and probably safer for them uh, to, to conform to the cultural and religious norms of the day, to either deny Christ altogether or to live out their faith in secret. But Peter was writing to remind them that their hope was in Christ and, and to prepare them for continued suffering. He wanted them to know that it would be worth it in the end. And there are Christians around the world today that experience persecution uh, for their faith. There's an organization called Open, Open Doors uh, that supports persecuted Christians around the world and they do an annual report. And in 2021, uh, they shared that one in seven Christians worldwide experience persecution. That 360 million Christians are living in places where they experience a high degree of it. In 2021, nearly 6,000 were killed for their faith. This is just what was reported. Over 5,000 churches were attacked, and another 5,000 folks were detained uh, for their faith without trial. And there's this watch list of, of 50 countries uh, where there's a high level of persecution, places like North Korea and Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Yemen, Nigeria are at the top of the list. Of course, through our partners at, at World Relief Western Washington, we're supporting refugee resettlement, especially from places like Afghanistan, where one year ago this week, uh, Kabul fell to the Taliban, and there's been an increase of persecution among Christians and women and girls in particular. And there, there are many reasons for this persecution, and certainly the scattered Christians that Peter was writing to uh, who themselves were experiencing suffering at the hands of the Roman Emperor Nero. They would understand many of these reasons. I'll just name a few. Uh, authoritarian governments who view Christianity as a threat to power. Suspicion of anything outside the majority cultural faith. In fact, the, the first Christians were considered atheists because they didn't believe in Rome's pantheon of gods. And a final reason is that I'll mention is religious freedom is increasingly a disrespected human right. So it's important today as we talk about uh, suffering and overlay our experience onto Peter's writings that we understand the level of persecution that those he was writing to were experiencing and the level that exists uh, in the church in the world today, largely outside of the United States. God is with all believers in our suffering, but it's really important that we put ours into perspective. Uh, for all of us, though, who follow Jesus, the real point is this, and this is the point of our teaching today, that following Jesus doesn't promise us a, a, a life free from suffering, but it does invite us into redemptive responses to suffering, responses that produce hope 
and blessing. And Peter offers three that we're going to look at today. Uh, If you grabbed a bulletin, I'm so glad. I did a fill in the blank in the notes. I've never done this before. Uh, I've got a short attention span. So if it helps you kind of have some way uh, points along the way, uh, I'll walk you through those. But join me in prayer as we ask God to reveal himself to us as we open his word. Let's pray. Uh, God, you are good. You are wise. Uh, God, you are loving. I pray that you give us uh, hope and courage in this moment as we uh, seek to follow you well. God, in the midst of whatever it is uh, that we're suffering, could we suffer together? Uh, Could we be like you in your suffering? God, give us hope and perspective today. We love you. Your name, amen. Well, I've titled the message, uh, Turn It Around, uh, because it speaks to this idea that there are better or redemptive, to use a nice Christian word, responses to suffering. Uh, that sometimes, or often if you're me, uh, we find ourselves in a situation where we have a choice to, to make it better or to make it worse, to sort of escalate or de-escalate, to choose life or death. This happens in big and small ways in these life and death situations, but it also happens in situations like, like traffic. So a few weeks ago, uh, my family and I are driving to Coldstone Creamery. Uh, my wife and I realized we hadn't been there in like 20 years. The kids had never been there. So we're driving from our house to Edmonds, uh, from Edmonds to up by Alderwood. And sometimes there are situations where you realize like, oh, I want to turn left up there. I'm not in that lane. I will speed up to, to get over. This was my preferred method. So I speed up to get over. And as I turn my head back around, I notice this nice little Prius and we're in a truck uh, in front decides to brake check me, which brake check is like, hey, I'm just going to do a little brake tap to make the person know behind me that I'm uncomfortable with how close they are. We were not that close. But so this person brake checks us in their Prius. And this is what I see from my view. The person saying like, ah, ah, ah. And this sends me into a level of rage out of nowhere that leads me, I'm not, I'm confessing this. I'm not like, Don't give me accolades. I just lay on the horn, like arm on for about 10 seconds. And my wife is like, who are you? I think my kids were laughing in the back because I turned into the, the, the robbers from home alone. Like each they were like, you know, this was me in that moment. Uh, and I don't, I think a better response to this person might have been like, hey, sorry, didn't mean to upset you. Clearly, they're walking through the world like I'm the traffic police. And so I sort of chose to escalate. And I imagine I changed the trajectory of their day. Uh, Mine was changed. Uh, But I'll tell you about three seconds after this kind of emotion came out of nowhere, my body was shouting at me like an out-of-body experience. Turn it around, bro. Like you're on your way to Cold Stone. Like imagine being angry eating ice cream. Can you do that? This was me in this moment. The kids had never been. It was 85 degrees outside. I wanted them to remember their favorite mix-ins because, you know, that's Cold Stone's thing. Not my road rage on the way there. I apologized. I, I turned it around. But you know what? We got there and Cold Stone was closed. There was a sign on the door, equipment failure. We looked in the window and could literally see the ice cream melting and like single tears fell. Uh, But we turned it around. We ended up at Costco and we got sundaes and churros. 
Uh, we st- they still haven't been to Coldstone. And of course, this was not suffering. It was definitely not persecution. It was barely a setback. But this idea of responding redemptively to opposition and struggle applies whether we're talking about traffic or what believers are suffering in places like North Korea and Afghanistan. We can't control what happens, but we can control how we respond to it. Maybe you've heard of, of Stoicism. It's this school of philosophy from the third century. It's, it's having a resurgence these days thanks to writers like Ryan Holiday that are interpreting the writings of people like Marcus Aurelius and Epictetus and Seneca. At the most basic level, the Stoics uh, believe it's not what happens that's important, but how we respond to what happens. We don't control the outside world, but we control what we do in reaction to the outside world. We control how we rise to face obstacles. We decide what we make of the opportunities that life throws at us. We don't control what happens, but we respond. We control how we respond. And Peter's letter affirms that suffering is going to come and invites us to better, more redemptive responses in light of that suffering. So let's look at the first. When trouble comes, we need to remember. There's three things we want to remember. There are these spiritual realities to our lives that are often hard to see or easy to lose sight of because life is hard. It's, it's fast-paced. It's in our face at times. There's this constant bombardment of, of bad news and, and darkness uh, and death in the world that, that make it hard to remember the true order of things. If you missed it, two weeks ago, Pastor Richard talked about this in our intro sermon, that we're living in this, this overlap of the already and the not yet. And this feels like a struggle, societally and in our bodies and our families, uh, at the gas pump and the grocery store. It's vital that we gather to remember uh, each week, to find our, our true north, to see through the veil of this world to the world that God is building. We need to unwind some of the tangling with the values of the world and remember who we are, whose we are, and the calls that we've been given as God's children. It's a tall order, but there's three things Peter invites us to remember. Turn to 1 Peter 3 with me or follow along on the screen. Uh, 3, chapter, eight, uh, chapter 3, verse 8 says this. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. And this is our first fill in the blank if you're taking notes. Remember the one mind, the one mind. Like-minded actually means having the same mind. And Peter is referring to the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2 uh, reminds us that we, the church, by the Spirit, have the mind of Christ. He wants to understand that, that being like-minded and the unity that comes from that isn't uniformity, but it's rather cooperation in the midst of diversity. That we might think differently, but we share the same mission. We're inviting people here at Bethany to God, community, and wholeness. And when we divide over lesser things, we can't do that. The mission suffers. Encourage us today, don't take the bait. When you encounter disagreement in the church, turn it around, lean in, be curious, seek the mind of Christ. We think and feel and see things differently, but the mind of Christ enables us to align around the same goals, our shared mission together. Part of how we have the same mind is by studying God's word together like we're doing today because God's word is where the mind of Christ is revealed. This is also important because we're a body and in a body there is both diversity and cooperation. 
The eyes and the hands do different things, but each part submits to the mind, telling us what to do or not to do. Another way to say this is that Christians should be like a good choir. Each one sings with their own voice and some sing different parts, but everyone sings to the same music and in harmony with one another. So join the choir. Email Pat Collins. (laughs) This brings us to our next fill in the blank. Remember the spiritual house. Remember the spiritual house. If you were with us last week, you'll remember uh, Pastor Scott's story about the brick builders in the cathedral. That God is building a spiritual house and each of us are a part of it. Listen to 1 Peter 2, 4, and 5 from last week. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And this means that none of us are free agents. It's really valued and often easier in in the Western world that if you don't like it, just change the channel. Encounter a difference with a a person or group of people or an organization, just leave. Oftentimes the the encouragement is kind of to curate something that fits for you, built in your own image. I say no. No. The brick or stone of your life belongs in the house of God and not off on its own. We'll see later in 1 Peter chapter 5, it reminds us that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I'll tell you, the ones being devoured are the free agents. Come back, take your place in the wall. And sometimes we separate ourselves uh, because we're, we're hurting or struggling or are embarrassed, so we want to withdraw and sort of clean ourselves up before we come back. You know, at times when we trip, the first thing we do isn't to check if we're okay, it's to look around and see if anybody saw us. I think it was Brendan Manning who, who said that the church is not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. So when you encounter suffering and struggle, remember the spiritual house. You belong in your broken state. This is a place to heal. And you have a part to play even in the midst of your struggles. Third thing we want to remember is in verse nine. Listen to this with me. It says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So we'll look at the first part of that verse uh, in our next point, but our next fill in the blank for us was, was there at the end. Remember the calling and the blessing. Remember the calling and the blessing. Peter is referring back to chapter one uh, where he reminded these scattered Christians that they have been given new birth into a living hope and given an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. We can then be confident in the midst of our suffering that God is going to meet our needs. Our cup won't run out. So we can absorb and endure suffering and release it back into the world as blessing. We have an inheritance coming. It's not over. Frederick Buechner, the beloved pastor and author who passed away this week at the age of 96, he put it this way. Resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. Resurrection means that the worst thing 
is never the last thing. It's like how we sing that the story isn't over if the story isn't good. This is our great hope. We can hang on, having confidence in the end of the story. And while we wait, we can't control what happens, but we can control how we respond to it by remembering what's true. As we move to our next point, perhaps you've heard the saying, hurt people hurt people. That so many of us out of our woundedness sort of react and wound others. This is true in my experience. Uh, And we must pay attention to this in our own lives as followers of Jesus in particular. The stones in the house of God don't, don't extricate themselves and throw themselves at people. Instead, they remain to offer a blessing. The church is the house of God and a home for the world. God's dwelling place and a place of refuge for all people. Our calling then is to consistently and sacrificially absorb blessing, suffering and release it back into the world as blessing. Peter is inviting us to repay evil with blessing. That's our next fill in the blank. Repay evil with blessing. We read in verse nine. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. But the natural response to hostility is retaliation. You give me the finger wave, I give you the horn, right? This is part of what these terrible ethnic conflicts around the, the world are, are about. That one group wrongs another and dedicates the rest of its existence to repaying that wrong. But only the love of Jesus for our enemy can break that cycle. Of course, this happens on a grand scale, leading to things like ethnic cleansing and genocide. But it begins in, in small ways. In each of our hearts, we turn it around and repay evil with blessing. Perhaps remember that, that hurt people hurt people and stop and think, how did they get that way? How did I get that way? Again, from Frederick Buechner, he says this, snobs are people who look down on other people, but that does not justify our looking down on them. Who can say what dark fears of being inferior lurk behind their superior airs or what they suffer in private for the slights they dish out in public? One of the concerns I have with the modern church is that we often hate the people we're called to save. We walk around with an ax to grind against them or those people, whoever they are to us. I don't need to give a list because I think we all just came up with one in our own minds. Guilty. This is Jonah and, and Nineveh. He said, God, you want me to go and preach to them, those people? Nope. He jumped out of the boat. Like he ran the other direction and God turned it around and used Jonah to save the very people he hated and he ministered to Jonah in the process. We do well to learn from this example. Jesus is inviting us to repay evil with blessing. But we're like, how about I bless those that I have more in common with? And I guess my response to that in my own heart is, oh, are are we telling them about Jesus even? Jesus reminds us that it's no great credit if we love those who love us in return. The real test of love is to demonstrate compassion to our enemies. Listen to Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? 
And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. So we're called to repay evil with blessing. Hard as it is, Peter's telling us it's our call. As we continue, there's another redemptive response or or repayment of sorts. Look at chapter three, verses 14 and 15. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. This is our next fill-in. We're to repay fear of people with fear of the Lord. Make an exchange. Fear of people with fear of the Lord. You see, fear of the Lord, reverence uh, for God's holiness and power and position allows us to conquer every other fear. It allows us to conquer every other fear because it says God is sovereign over my life and justice will come. Here's an example. Uh, Remember the story of Joseph in, in Genesis. His brothers hated him because of his position in the family and they sold him into slavery and then a bunch of other stuff happens as we'll see in a minute and Joseph is back. And then their father, Jacob, dies. And the brothers get a little nervous that now that dad is gone uh, and Joseph is in charge, perhaps he will repay them for their past evils. But Joseph says this. Scripture says this. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph repaid evil with blessing by exchanging fear of people with fear of the Lord. He said, look, God's working good in this this evil and his redemptive response sowed more hope into the world, even in his own family. And this is often the place like, man, I'll repay evil with blessing. Just don't make me do it in my own family. Like that is some of the hardest place to do it. He stopped the cycle by changing his reaction. Viktor Frankl once said, when we're no longer able to change a situation, we're challenged to change ourselves. When we keep God in the driver's seat, in the place of judge and as the creator of justice, we're able to join him in his redemptive work. And we do that in humility by submitting to him in reverence and fear and being the change needed, choosing life and hope instead of fear. And God has a a bigger view, doesn't he? Maybe you remember the book, the kid's book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. There's a whole If You Give a Mouse a Cookie in Joseph's story that actually leads to our own redemption. So follow along this with me. This is Joseph's, you know, Genesis 37 to 50. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Don't worry. If Joseph's brothers never sold him to the Midianites, then Joseph would have never gone to Egypt. If Joseph never went to Egypt, he would have never been sold to Potiphar. If Joseph was never sold to Potiphar, Potiphar's wife would never have falsely accused him of rape. If Potiphar's wife never falsely accused Joseph of rape, then Joseph would have never been put in prison. If Joseph was never put in prison, then he would have never met the baker and the butler of Pharaoh. And if Joseph never met the baker and butler of Pharaoh, he would have never interpreted their dreams. If Joseph never interpreted their dreams, he would have never interpreted Pharaoh's dream. If Joseph never interpreted Pharaoh's dream, he would have never become prime minister, second in Egypt only to Pharaoh. 
If Joseph never became prime minister, he would have never wisely prepared for the terrible famine to come. If Joseph never wisely prepared for the terrible famine, then his family back in Canaan would have died in the famine. And if Joseph's family back in Canaan died in the famine, then the Messiah could not have come from a dead family. And if the Messiah did not come forth, then Jesus never came. And if Jesus never came, then we are all dead in our sins and without hope in the world. Friends, God's plans are are beautiful. The way he turns what was meant for evil into good is beautiful. We can put our hope in him. And lastly, we repay the question with an answer for our hope. You're filling the blank there. Repay the question with an answer for our hope. Listen again to chapter three, verses 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. People around us are, are looking at our lives and, and are curious why we believe. Why, why follow Jesus? Why go to church? Sometimes we, we get the question directly and we get to speak to why. Each of us should be ready. We don't need to have every answer theologically or everything in our belief system tied up neatly before we tell anyone. In fact, it's actually better if we don't. Nobody likes to know it all. But with humility and gentleness, we should be ready to say, I stand with Christ because... I wonder today, what is your because? Encourage Holy Spirit to remind us of our why today. And again, we do this out of fear and reverence for God, not fear that we're gonna look stupid or be attacked or even killed for our faith, but we do it because we want to invite and inspire faith in the questioner and bring glory and honor to God. We don't have time today, but uh, Peter does this really well in in Acts chapters two through five. Once per chapter, there's these four stories where Peter is called upon to give an answer for his hope. Go there sometime this week and see Peter giving this gentle reason for his faith over and over. And like Peter, we can do this by acknowledging the word of God, by knowing God in prayer, having faith in the end of the story and seeing beyond the struggle of the moment to the opportunity to share faith with a friend or an enemy. And then finally, we rejoice. Listen to 4, 12, and 13 with me. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. That's our next fill in the blank. Rejoice in shared sufferings. Rejoice in shared sufferings. Peter knew that suffering was going to continue. As I said at the beginning, he was writing to remind these scattered Christians that suffering was gonna come, to not be surprised by it. Peter was saying to them, this suffering in the Christian life is a, is a feature, not a bug. You know what I mean? Like you get a new phone or something and it does something weird and you're like, is it supposed to do that? The Christian life is supposed to do that. Hard as it is, it's a feature, not a bug. And Jesus modeled this in his death on the cross. In this hard to understand, upside down kingdom, sharing in the sufferings of Christ is a cause for joy. 
And to be clear, joy doesn't mean like happy exuberance all the time. Like I'm suffering, it's so great. Like celebrate with me. Pastor Rich Viota shared online this week that the same Bible that says rejoice always also has a book called Lamentations, Lament. That we can lament and have joy in our circumstances. That two things can be true at the same time. We don't have to choose one from the other. But too often we think that suffering in our lives is a sign that, that God has left us. That there's some glitch in the matrix and it's time to cut our losses and find another God. And Peter is saying, change your mindset to expect trials and see them as cracks in our lives where the light gets in. And then we can experience God's glory and joy. Again, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's the Christian life. This is what we've signed up for, what we've been invited to. You know, Peter once told Jesus to avoid the suffering of the cross. I love how bold he is. Listen to Peter and Jesus in Mark 8. It says, he, Jesus, began, uh, then began to teach that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I love this. He's like, hey, Jesus, let's talk. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, I love that he like looks past Peter. He rebuked Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. One theologian put it this way. Once it seemed strange to the apostle Peter that his master should think of suffering. Now he thinks it's strange that he could have imagined anything else. It's a great mystery of our faith. But suffering is central to the Christian life. Jesus suffered on our behalf, defeating sin and death. It's a joy for us to share in his sufferings. And this again reminds us that in our pain and trials and sufferings, we are not alone. That's our last fill in the blank. Rejoice, I'm not alone. Rejoice, I'm not alone. I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad we get to do this uh, together. Each of you has a unique story, a place in the house of God where your gifts are needed and intended to be used, to be shared. But I know so many of us are in a tough spot. Uh, God is with us. He is near. He is shaping us. He is inviting us to, to hold on. We are built for hope. We need to continue to remember, repay, and rejoice because of the riches this inheritance we have in Christ, this living hope to be revealed to us in God's timing. I wrote a song over the past few weeks as I've been thinking about this message and as I've been, uh, along with our staff team, sharing in some of the pain and stories in our congregation. There's been a lot of loss lately in our community, uh, a summer just full of memorial services Death of loved ones, babies, grandparents, sisters, deaths of dreams and relationships. Seattle's been at its most beautiful and yet so many of us are experiencing deep pain. There's also been incredible stories of, of God's kingdom breaking in. Just recently at, at KSA and last week with 100 middle schoolers at our middle school camp in Nicaragua and out on Aurora, across the street at Bagley where this really unsightly area like got beautiful yesterday in just a couple of hours. We could imagine students finding places of, of refuge and probably a little mischief over there together. But lament and joy at the same time. Hope right in the middle of our struggles. How will we respond? 
Will we react in, in hurt and anger? We just lay on the horn, let them have it? Or maybe by disengaging? Or will we respond redemptively with an answer for our hope? So as we respond, uh, I'm gonna give you the, the answer to the hope that we have for me. Uh, this song's called uh, Kingdom Come. I don't always write a song for the sermon. It just happened. So I'm just, just gonna be faithful to the gift. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He walks with us down every road. But pain is a blindfold, so we find every pothole. And all the trouble, it makes us feel. declare your goodness and we will sing your promise until the day you mend these broken bones and we will hold to your witness and we'll believe you are with us until the day we see your kingdom come lord let your kingdom come And though we walk through the darkest valley, his light will be our guide. And when we're lost, you leave the ninety to bring us back to life. Oh, you bring us back to life. Your goodness and we will sing Your promise until the day You mend these broken bones and We will hold to your witness And we'll believe you are with us Until the day we see your kingdom come Lord, let your kingdom come kingdom come we waited for so long oh let your kingdom come we waited for so long but we declare your goodness and we will sing your promise until the day you mend these broken bones and we will hold to your witness and we'll believe you are with us until the day we see your kingdom come lord let your kingdom come let's pray together uh, God, we thank you that you are with us and in the midst of our, our trials, in the midst of waiting uh, for our deliverance, uh, God, we ask that you would strengthen us, that we would uh, at times borrow faith when we need from this great cloud of witnesses, 
that for 2,000 years that the church has declared your goodness and your faithfulness in the midst of every season and situation. God, we pray for the persecuted church around the world. God, will we join them in their suffering as they join you in your suffering? God, would you help us to understand you are with us? God, would today be a beginning? God, we love you in your name. Amen. Let's continue in worship.